If I have not told you yet, it is good to see you this morning. Thank you for choosing to be here today. I hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can preferably open up, if not, something that you can turn on. And you'll join me in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 20. If you came in and you got one of those bulletins that are back on the tables, on the back of that, there'll be some notes to guide our time through the Word this morning. Also be behind me on the screen if you'd like to carry to uh, follow along, if that's something that you enjoy. But John chapter 20 is where we're going to be at this morning. We are all gathered here this morning, and we all understand what today is. All four of the Gospels record the resurrection. It was the first day of the week, the day that we consider to be Sunday. It was at the beginning of the day, at dawn, at the very early morning hours. An earthquake took place. An angel descended from heaven and rolled away the stone of a tomb that was sealed. The guards that were positioned there to keep the place safe and to keep the disciples from coming and stealing the body of Jesus and claiming that he had arose from the dead. The guards, when they heard the earthquake and when they saw the angels and they saw what he was doing, they became so frightened and so trembled that they fainted. And now we find ourselves in a new reality. That Jesus is alive. And when we think about this together as a church, when we think about this together as individuals, we understand that this changes everything. It doesn't matter whether it's the first century or the 21st century. The fact that a man has died and is now living again changes everything. It changes everything about who we are and it changes everything about then what we do once we have heard the news. And whether it is the first century or the 21st century, there are still people within humanity that are continuing to respond to the news that Jesus is alive. Now, I'm sure that many of you have probably gone through your fair share of Easter Sunday morning services. But this morning, I invite for you to consider with me out of the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, the responses that we see from at least three different characters in the story. And in John chapter 20, you see there in verse 1 that Mary Magdalene and the other three gospels recorders records that there was other women that were there with her, but they come to the tomb, they see the tomb empty, and then as soon as they see the tomb empty, there are three different responses that John then records for us that then takes place. And my desire this morning is for you to see these responses with me and then to ask you this morning, which one are you? Are you Peter? Are you Mary? Or are you Thomas? So here in the text this morning, in John chapter 20 and in verse 2, listen to how John records what happens after the resurrection. It says, so she, talking about Mary Magdalene, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, or stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And 
He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying within linen clothes, clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What is going on here? The first, one, the first response we see is that of Peter. And what Peter is doing is he, he is investigating the news. I put there in your note that Peter investigated. Peter hears the news. Mary comes to him and says, hey, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. I don't know what's going on. And Peter and John, John doesn't refer to himself in the first person, but he talks about the other disciple. It's referring to John. They get up and they run. And they run to the tomb to see if it was true. You see, Peter had been there. He had heard the promises of Jesus. He had heard he had heard Jesus say, I will die and then I will come back again. Also, Peter, being a good Jew, he knew the promises of Isaiah. He knew the promises of Hosea. He knew the promises of Malachi. He had heard the writings and the words of the, the men that had come before him, like David and like Abraham and, and like Adam. He knew what God had said he would do. But he was still in disbelief. If God had actually done it. So as soon as Mary comes in the door, you can just imagine her excitement. You can just imagine her joy. You can just imagine her, her, her shortness of breath. And she comes in and she's gasping after running. And she says, he's gone. He's gone. He's alive. And then Peter and John, they bolt out the door and they run. And it tells us there in the text that as soon as Simon Peter got there, this is verse 6, he went into the tomb. Peter wanted to see the evidence for himself. Not only did he know the promises, but Peter saw the evidence. He had the desire to know, is this thing real? But then look down at verse 10 in your text. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So Peter knew the promises. He saw the evidence. And yet Peter went home. I find that to be a very perplexing verse. Peter who had walked with Jesus for over three years. Peter that had been there, that had denied Jesus just three days earlier. It was the same Peter that told Jesus, I will die with you if it comes down to that. Peter's the same guy that walked on the water when Jesus said get out of the boat. It's the same Peter that watched the miracles happening and watched Jesus do the miraculous. It's the same Peter that first identified him as the Christ. And when all these things come to a culmination, Peter goes home. I wonder how many Peters there are in this room. How many Peters that know the information that are interested in hearing more about what is going on, but they're not quite willing to devote their lives to Jesus. They're looking for information. They're looking for reason to believe. They're looking for evidence. And yet, they're not willing to fully commit to Christ. You know, once upon a time, there was a bumper sticker that some people put on the back of their vehicles, and it said something to the extent of, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. The problem is, is that whole phrase is backwards. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. What the bumper sticker should say is God's word says it. That settles it. I believe it. 
And sometimes we have to ask ourselves in this daily life. We can go through the process of trying to, we need more information. We want, we want more time to decide. We want more time to think. We want more time to consider. And the investigation, it might have its own place. But the question is, is do you believe that the tomb is empty? Do you believe that a man came back from the dead? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins? Do you believe that you need to be saved? Do you believe that Jesus is the only answer? Do you believe that God loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you? Do you believe that the empty tomb changes everything for your future? Do you believe? There may be a Peter in this room this morning that you may be in that stage of investigation. You might be in that stage of saying, well, you know what? I don't know. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what my grandma did. I know what my mama did, but I really don't know. And you come to church and you hear everything and then you go home. You come to church and you hear everything that is said and then you just say, all right, that's for later. And you go on about your life. You're in that investigation mode that you're coming and you hear the information, but you never respond. Peter went home. Then notice what Mary did. This is verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, Woman. <laughs> when I say that, I get in trouble. Woman. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. It's biblical. Wherever she's at, it's biblical. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say this like I get away with it. Woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> I could have used that so many times. All right, so woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and, your, and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene, verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he had said these things to her. If you see Peter as the investigator, you see Mary as the proclaimer. Mary is there at the tomb. She had gone and she had told the disciples. The, the two disciples came up and they looked, and what did they do? They went home. Mary is sitting there and she has something that is very rarely seen in all the pages of Scripture. She has two conversations with spiritual beings. First, she has a conversation with the angels. She converses with the angels and she talks to them and they say, Don't you understand? Jesus is not here. Now, I have never talked to an angel. I've watched Michael Landon act like an angel, but I have never talked to an angel. But it's one of those things that you would think if you have an angelic being, that's going to change your mentality. So she converses with the angels. And not just she converses with the angels, but she spoke to Jesus. That's what you see down there in verse 16 and verse 17. She is talking to the risen Savior. And then what does she do? She goes and tells other people. But I find the language to be interesting. Not to be confusing, but I don't think Peter... I don't think 
I don't think it's a matter that Peter was lost or saved. I, I believe that the text very clearly tells us Peter, Mary, and Thomas, they were all three saved. But their responses are different. And I think their responses are symbolic of many of the time our responses in this room. So what did Mary do? Did Mary go around and tell people and say, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive? Yes, but then how did she respond to Jesus? Did she respond to Jesus with saying, oh, you are everything, I understand everything now, I grasp everything, I see it now, what is going on? No, you can still hear in the, in, in the tense and the voice of the text that there is still confusion. She doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. Jesus is standing right in front of her, and instead of recognizing as Jesus, she thinks he's a gardener. She is still trying to wrestle with what is true, what she believes, trying to fully understand and grasp what is going on. You know, we're in a day and age of a social media culture. And it is so easy now to pass along information. You read a post on Instagram, you read a post on Facebook, you read a post on Twiddle, you read, you read a post on something and you're like, oh, I like that, and then you just... Repost it, retweet it, whatever you want to call it. You just, you just send it on down the chain. You don't know whether it's true. You don't know if it isn't true. You're just passing along information. And sometimes in our Christian life, we can get into that mode. We can just go around and say, oh yeah, Jesus is risen. Oh, it's Easter. Happy Easter. Resurrection Sunday. And all these things that we have the information, we know what we're supposed to say, and all we're doing is just proclaiming the good news. But we haven't fully grasped. The good news. We haven't fully gripped why Jesus had to die for me. We haven't fully considered what change to our eternal hope is brought about by God raising his son from the dead. We don't fully understand the depth and the breadth of the grace of God being willing to sacrifice His Son for my sins. We really don't get down into the point that we fully understand who we were before Jesus and who we are after. Jesus. We don't fully grasp the hopelessness of being lost and headed to hell and the rejoicing and the hope of knowing our eternity is secured in heaven. I wonder this morning if you are a Mary. You know the information, you tell the information. Somebody says to you, did you go to church this Sunday morning? Oh, I went to church. Why did you go to church? Oh, it's Easter Sunday. What does Easter Sunday mean? Oh, the tomb is empty. And you know the information. You repeat the information. You proclaim the information. People hear you saying the information. But in your heart, in your mind, do you fully grasp what this day means for you? Sometimes we can get in the mode or sometimes we can get in the rut as believers today. With just being parrots. We know the information, we say the information, we repeat the information, but we never fully understand exactly what it means for me. 
So Peter is the investigator. Mary is the proclaimer. But then it comes to the, 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 the land, or John turns his focus, he turns the narrative towards Thomas. So in verse 19 down through verse 23, the disciples are gathered together. Judas has already gone and hung himself. There's 10 of the 11 remaining disciples that are gathered together in the room. And Jesus shows up and they're like, poof, mind blown. Jesus is real. We heard the ladies talking about it. We know the empty tomb, but they're still trying to put these pieces together. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just appears. It says, Jesus came, verse, verse uh, 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It's the idea that all of a sudden they understand this is who Jesus is. But Thomas wasn't there. So when they get together again, they look at Thomas and say, Thomas, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is like, no, you didn't. <coughs> no, 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 Thomas, you don't understand. We saw him. We spoke to him. And Thomas is saying, oh, no, you didn't. In fact, you get down to verse 24, and he says, No, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You have Thomas that is sitting there, and Thomas says, You know what? I know the women have seen the empty tomb. I know Peter and John have seen the empty tomb. I know that Mary had seen the risen Savior. I know that people are talking about it. I know my other ten disciple buddies, they've said they've seen him. They said they've talked to him. They said they've been around him. I'm just not willing to accept it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Because how does God do that? How does God raise somebody from the dead? I've tried it with goldfish. I've tried it with frogs. Tried it with baby pigs back in my earlier days when I was in charge of the Fairwin house. I've, I've tried raising stuff back from the dead. It, it, it didn't work. I've tried it in the garden. <laughs> it's a very dangerous place for a plant is my garden. I've tried it in other scenarios. I've tried it in other places. I have tried to raise stuff from the dead. I can't do it. And you know what? If we're going to be honest with ourselves this morning, there's at least a piece of many of us in this room that are like, we don't understand it. We don't know how to make sense of it. You know what? We just have no way to conceive of something being dead and now being alive. So we may kind of categorize Thomas as being the doubting Thomas, but there are many doubting Thomases in the room. But then it says in verse 26, Eight days later. His, referring to Jesus, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although, doors, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put, your hand, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You have Peter representing the investigator. You have Mary representing the proclaimer. And here you see Thomas having representing the believer. 
Thomas investigated the news. He heard the ten talk about it. He heard the ten give the report. He heard the women talk about what they had seen. He had maybe even gone to the tomb and saw the tomb empty. He investigated the information. He had even proclaimed to the other ten disciples, I will not believe unless I see the marks in the hands and I see the hole in his side. I will not believe. He investigated. He proclaimed. But then you get down to verse 28, and it is such a powerful verse because Thomas answered him. So Thomas has Jesus right in front of him. He sees the holes in his hands. He sees the holes in his his ankles. He sees the hole in his side. And when he sees the risen Savior, how does he respond? He says, my Lord and my God. Now these these five words are packed, packed with emphasis, packed with meaning. What did they say? Thomas says, you know what? It's not a matter of science. It's not a matter of facts. It's not a matter of logic. It's not a matter of reason. It's not a matter of my opinion. It's not a matter of my feelings. It's not a matter of my emotions. It's not a matter of experience. It's not a matter of tradition. It's not a matter of peer pressure. It's not a matter of my history. It's a matter that God is real. And God is in the flesh before me. Thomas confesses Jesus as Lord. And when he does it, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Are you a Thomas? In this room this morning. It's not a matter. Of somebody making an argument that you couldn't refute. It's not a matter of hearing somebody talking about it enough times that they finally wore you down. It's a matter that you came to the point that you realized that you were a sinner. And you realized that that penalty of sin. Was death. An eternal separation away from God. And you knew that in your state of sin and in your state of lostness, that you were going to die in that state and the penalty was eternally separated God for eternity in hell. And you thought to yourself, well, I'll just be good enough or I'll just give enough money or I'll just do enough good works and I'll earn my way, I will uh, merit my way into heaven. And yet the Bible teaches us that no one is good, not even one. And you came to that point that you realized that I'm a sinner. And you came to that point that you said, the only hope is for the penalty of my sins to be paid for. And God looked down from eternity past and he looked down upon you. And he loved you so much that he then sent his son, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth. He lived a life that you could not live. He lived a sinless life, not because he is perfect, but because he is the perfect sacrifice for us. He lived the life that we could not live. He fulfilled the law in every form. And then he put himself, he submitted himself to the persecution. He submitted himself to the crucifixion. He submitted himself to the torture. He submitted himself to death. Not because of his sin or because of his wrong but so that he might pay the price for my sin. He might pay the price for your sin. And the Bible tells us that 
for those who confess that Jesus is the Christ. They will be saved. So I wonder if there are some Thomases in this room this morning. That you know who you were. And you know what Christ has done. And you know the decision that you've made. And so you know who you are for eternity. That your eternity is secured. And that Jesus has paid the price. Thomas believed. And it wasn't because of his good deeds. It wasn't because of his education. It wasn't because of how much money he had. It wasn't because of him being a good person. It wasn't because of where he lived. It wasn't because of his last name. It wasn't because of his ethnicity. It wasn't because of his background. It wasn't because that he was something special or he was chosen or somebody randomly picked him for salvation. He believed because he understood who Jesus was was. And this morning, this morning, I don't know every person in this room, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that this morning, it doesn't matter about where you've been. It doesn't matter about what you've done. It doesn't matter about where you are right now. For any of us in this room, we believe in what Jesus has done for us, and there is salvation available to you this morning. For every single person. You may have walked in here, a Peter, investigating, looking for information, looking for ways that you can poke holes in this idea of what it means to be a Christian. Holding up hypocrites and saying, that's why I don't do this. Holding up those that come into church that don't live like it and saying, oh, that's why I don't do that. You may be the investigator type this morning, and this morning, brothers and sisters, is an opportunity for you to say, you know what? Investigation is over. I choose to believe. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been in church for a very long time and you know when to stand up and you know when to sit down and you know the right things they say. You even own a Bible and you even know pretty much where most of the books in the Bible are at. And you've been a proclaimer long enough, saying the right words, doing the right words, doing, doing everything, going through the motions, but you've never come to the point that you've confessed him as Lord of your life. Oh, there's an opportunity this morning. There's an opportunity to turn. Your eyes upon Jesus. So how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond today? At the bottom of your notes, I just put three different ways that we, three different ways that you might respond today. One way be that you come, you're reminded about Easter, you're reminded about the empty tomb, and you leave here the same. You leave here the same that you walked in. Oh, preacher, no one, no one does that. They do it every single Sunday. They come in. They've already got their heels in even before they walk in. They've already made their mind up even before they got out of their vehicle. They've already decided that I'm going to go, and it doesn't matter what this joker says, I know what I believe, and I'm going to walk out the same way that I walked in. And that is an opportunity this morning. That is a possibility here this morning. You might be in that position that you may come, you may hear about what Jesus has done for you, you may hear about how much God loves you, and then you leave the same as you walked in. Or, you may come in here, and you may hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And you leave, and you tell someone about it. You and I went to church this morning, and there was this monkey up there on the platform. 
And he kept going on and on about Jesus. And you know what this idea that the Bible says that there's a tomb and it's empty and Jesus came and he lived and he died and he made a way for people to be forgiven of their sins and you might tell other people. and That might be how you respond. <coughs> or you come, you hear, you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. And you leave here changed. You leave here changed. Not conforming to an idea of what this church says, what a Christian looks like. No, you leave here changed. What I mean by changed is that your heart has now been renewed. It's the idea that you went from being lost to saved. It went from having a one-way ticket to hell to having a one-way ticket to heaven. It went from being in guilt and shame and condemnation because of your sin to now having hope and now having a future and now having excitement because you know what Jesus has done for you. You came here in one condition and you're leaving here in another condition and it's not because of the seats that you're sitting in. It's not because of the songs that we sang. It's not because of the lights that you're under. It's not because of what I have said, it's because of what Jesus has done for you. If you're here this morning and you walked in an investigator or you walked in as a proclaimer or maybe in more just Oklahoma language, you're lost as a duck in thunder. Today, you have an opportunity to turn to Jesus. The response is simple. In a few moments, I'll ask you to bow your heads. I'll offer a word of prayer. And then we'll all stand together and we will sing a song that Greg has set aside. And during that time, there's an opportunity for you to respond. You're more welcome to come, pray here at the front. You're maybe more, will, willing, more than welcome to come and speak with me or maybe right where you're at. Or maybe you're here this morning and you know there's a decision that you need to make, but you're not willing to make it. You're just not sure. You, have, you just want to understand what is this that I need to do. I'd be happy to come catch me after the service. I'd be happy to set up a time. One of me or one of the other pastors will be happy to sit down. We'll visit with you and talk with you and, and let you settle this and get this figured out. But there's not a single person in this room that is not going to respond before you leave here this morning. Every single one of us respond. Either we will respond in gratitude to thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. Or we'll respond in saying, well, you know what? I know I need to do something, but I'm not going to do it right now. Or we'll respond by saying, ha, how could anybody believe such silly stuff? We will respond. We will all respond this morning. My hope is that you respond in obedience for the sake of your souls. Will you bow your heads with me?